This is the podcast at Clark's Room. It's my thoughts on education, technology, leadership, and life. If you like what you're hearing, please take a minute to like, subscribe, and share. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Thanks for joining me on the podcast at Clark's Room. I'm really excited to have this guest today. I've only actually talked with him, I think, twice. And I don't know if you remember, Mike, but we sat at Q Bold in a restaurant till like 2 a.m. with like six other people and chatted for quite a while. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you meet thousands of people, I'm sure you used to with Q. So I know, uh, but I did remember that. And I just remember being able to listen. and, And I believe we actually went to Shabu Shabu a couple of years ago at lead three together, lead three. which was an experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's an experience. We're down the beach. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Everyone takes different paths to, to education and being in education. What was your path? So I grew up uh, doing theater. I, I was started at seven years old. I uh, love the stage, love an audience and uh, went to college and fell in love with literature. And when I came out, I married the two together and started teaching English with, you know, five audiences a day uh, in a high school. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it was great. It's interactive. You know, it's it's improv. It's, it, you know, you get others up on the stage, if you will, right? And uh, we get to explore literature together, something else I loved. So it was the perfect marriage for me of uh, my love of expression and creativity and really exploring uh, literature and the written word and helping students discover their own voice. So, um, so that was, that's what brought me to education. Uh, I'd also, also always been a lover of technology. You know, I had, you know, first kid on my street with an Apple IIe that I had connected to the TV so I could, you know, use color in, uh, in 83 and 84. Um, and, uh, that geek geekery carried through to my teaching practice. And I quickly discovered that I was one of the few, uh, innovators using technology in my classroom. And my principals would inevitably ask me, hey, can you share what you know? And that led to leading sessions, which led me to speaking. And I discovered there was a whole other community out there of edu geeks that uh, often went to these things called Q. And so I went to my first affiliate meeting in Orange County Q. And I was just blown away. Like, there's 200 of us? Holy cow. I had no idea there were 200 of us. And of course, someone said, oh, no, you need to go to Palm Springs. You have no idea. There's so many more. So uh, soon soon enough, I went to Palm Springs in the uh, National Q Conference in the 90s when it was booming. It was just huge. This was back in the days when we had digital high schools, and, and mine was the first digital high school in our district, and I was tapped to co-chair that. So, so that uh, really brought me around to discovering that uh, we had a much broader community of, of folks that were uh, willing to try new things in the classroom, whether it be with technology or not. And I found my tribe and it was a, it was at Q events and then eventually ISTE events and mm-hmm. it kept growing. So what, what's funny is I, I, I use that phrase a lot initially to explain to my wife, but just in general, finding your tribe, once you find your people, you just feel at home versus being on a campus where you kind of are an outlier. So I use that all the time as like, this is the tribe. Yes, absolutely. And it's so uh, rewarding. You know, because education far too often is isolating. You know, we, mm-hmm. we lock ourselves in the room and we don't explore other uh, folks out there. And so when you do find like-minded people, 
Um, it's hugely powerful. And this was, you know, before the days of social media. So we lived and thrived on those opportunities to connect face to face. And we found new opportunities whenever we could. Um, but we didn't have social media to keep that going in between. So now it's just extraordinary what we can do through the technology itself to keep connected in between the face to face meetups. You um, you found yourself as the leader of Q eventually. Yeah, some amazing uh, colleagues and mentors, uh, Michael Morrison and Hall Davidson, were serving on the Q Board of Directors. And I was working at the County Office of Education, running professional learning for the, you know, the 30,000 teachers in Orange County. And not 30,000, sorry. Um, I think, what is it in Orange County? 8,000 teachers? It's, it's crazy high. It's the second largest uh, student population in the state. 500,000 wow. students in Orange County. And so the number of educators that we served was... Extraordinary. It was 30 districts. That's what I'm thinking of. 30 districts that we served in Orange County. And so they reached out to me and said, hey, would you ever think about leaving the county? Would you ever go work for Q and encourage me to apply for the executive director uh, role, which at that time had just opened up? I thought they were a little bit nuts. You know, I'm like some <laughs> third tier nobody at a county office, you know, and they said, no, 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 you, you're doing some interesting things. You should really apply. And so I applied and I, I told my boss and she was she was like, oh, bless your heart. Like, in that, in that cute that you think you could, you could do that job? <laughs> and uh, I went in, I gave that interview everything I had. It was, uh, it was an extraordinary opportunity. And uh, I loved the chance to cast a vision for what I could do with, with this amazing organization that I loved. And mm -hmm. uh, they, they liked what I had to present and tapped me. And I think I was the youngest executive director in Q's history at the time. And um, I got, I had the opportunity to serve Q in that capacity, which they later changed to CEO. Uh, the yeah. board changed that title in 2014 and all told it was just about 13 years from when I got wow. hired to, to when I left. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then currently you find yourself at, at power school, correct? Yeah. It's, we're one of the largest ed tech software companies on the planet. We have something like 45 million uh, customers and uh, we're in 70 countries. And they, uh, they hired me, they recruited me in and they said, we need someone that can help work with these educators that are hosting events all over the world to train other educators how to use uh, PowerSchool software and our solutions. Uh, do you know anything about that? And I said, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. That. Yeah, that's, a, that's kind of my world. And then they said, oh, okay, and we're going to launch our first ever user conference. We're going to call it Edge. Do you know anything about you know hosting a big conference? I said, yeah, I, I, I know a little about that too. And they said, we'd like you to work with these amazing former superintendents and former chief technology officers. We call them our academic advisory board. Uh, you know, And so these are folks that have you know, amazing networks and they have a depth of experience in education. Do you know how you can help us utilize that expertise and that wisdom and that network? And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I do. That's, <laughs> I totally do that. So, so it's been uh, a great ride transitioning from nonprofit world to, uh, to power school and uh, mm -hmm. working with these amazing team members and customers and users uh, around the world. So, yeah. You've worked for a lot of educational focus organizations, as well as being a teacher. And I think that's, that's a role that people forget about. There's a lot of organizations. So you were at a department uh, of a county department. You were at, you know, a Q, a nonprofit, and you, now you're at power school. The, what's the kind of the untold role of those educational organizations that, that what's the untold role that they play in, in this kind of game of education? 
So yeah, and you're right. You hit upon something that's often missed is this connective tissue uh, that is organizations like Q and ISTE and you know the dozens of other um, educational innovation organizations out there, often nonprofits. Um, they are the connective tissue. They they are the organizations that speak the same language. Um, I think it's important for us to value and support the role that they have to connect each other. I mean, before social media, this was the social network. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and now that we've stepped into that world, um, you know, those organizations have really leapt in and found new ways, uh, leveraging hashtags and Twitter chats and meetups and, you know, Coffee Q, which was thought of mm -hmm. by Q members, by the way. Um, you know, those are all these 21st century approaches to solving that isolation problem I was talking about at the beginning. Um, yeah. and, and so in my current role, we, we see that also with the user groups that we support. And we are um, not just in the role of sponsoring those events and providing high quality you know, uh, presenters at those events and our solution engineers and our, our, our folks that, that go out to those events. We get to make the stuff. And I get to be on that side of the equation now where you know, we hear, hey, you know, it'd be great if this solution had this feature. And I can then go talk to the people building the product and say, you know what an educator suggested? And and then I see it happen. And it's amazing to watch that process yeah. from this side. So, so I've had this really neat view of being the teacher in the classroom, wishing I could connect with others, wishing I had tools and resources to connect with the students, and then getting to a space where I could connect educators where I could bring amazing people up and put them in front of large audiences to share what they've learned in the classroom and beyond. And then now I'm in that place where we're building all the things, we're building the solutions and, uh, you know, all those tools to really help students achieve and become, you know, the achieve their, their, their highest potential. That's, that's awesome. That's gotta, that's gotta be not validating, but just feel, it's gotta feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. I feel like I've got an extraordinary uh, journey and I, I continue yeah. to be uh, blessed with these various opportunities that come my way. I'm still speaking quite a bit. I got tapped to speak at the National School Transformation Conference. UNESCO tapped me three years ago to serve on a mobile learning expert group. And we're meeting this summer to look at the case studies that we collected and now have published on mobile learning, by the way, if you want to go check it out. They are guidance uh, uh, country by country, school by school on how uh, cultures around the world have implemented one to one. So things like that, I keep getting to do. I get to now I'm talking about social emotional learning with uh, with a co-presenter, um, Delaine Johnson out of uh, Clovis. And she and I have found that um, educators are really looking for solutions about how to connect to that whole child. And so that is, from my perspective, an extension of what we've always been trying to do is to connect to kids um, and using innovative approaches, whether that be tools or software or technology or just new approaches and asking mm -hmm. questions and listening. That's the huge thing, right? Looking at that whole child, not just the face they choose to present to you on any, any given Monday. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, I, I feel like I've, I've really had quite an extraordinary journey if you were given ultimate power, a magic wand, or you're like the grand pooba of all things education, and you could say, I can do one thing, like I can, I can make one change or implement one thing, what would that be? I think I'd focus on student equity. I think I'd wave the wand so that every single student, regardless of where they happen to be living, what school they go to, has uh, the same opportunities, the, 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 the opportunity to connect worldwide, the tools, the resources, the the um, 
you know, sometimes it's as little as power and Wi-Fi, like just basic necessities that some students don't have. I would love to find a way to uh, make that equitable. Um, not necessarily the same for every student because every student is different, has different needs, but provide that equi uh, equitability that uh, that uh, could allow each of those students to to grow to their highest potential. It, when I when I ask that question, the idea of equity actually comes up more than probably any other idea. Because yeah. um, I, I don't know if it's front of mind right now, but I, I think uh, you're, you're spot on. And so I guess the final kind of wrap up question, because um, you've, you've had a, a wide range of experiences and, and lived in multiple areas. Like if you had to forecast the, the future, you know, the next five to 15 years in education, what do you see coming down the pike? Like what trend do you see coming in education that um, is exciting? I think personalization, while it has become this buzzword, I still think that there's a huge potential that we've not even really tapped. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sci-fi fan, no big surprise. Uh, if you read the book uh, Ender's Game, uh, you have within those pages, and by the way, it was written in 85, you have this learning environment for the main character, Andrew Wigan, that is personalized. It is an interaction, it's a conversation, and it adjusts the curriculum for uh, for his his nickname is Ender for Ender and so Ender is able to move at his own pace and move forward in his own learning and drive his own learning. He has in the book control over his learning environment, control over what he's going to learn next, and that sort of power I don't feel we've achieved yet. I still feel that mm -hmm. science fiction. I still feel that a lot of the companies out there, including the one uh, that employs me, is trying to find a way to build that platform that can appropriately, not creepily, you know, <laughs> you know, understand the individual that's working with it well enough to give them the next proximal zone of development, right? To take them in that direction so that they can, you know, zip through algebra maybe faster than you or, you or I learned it because that's their capacity. And then it can move into mm -hmm. something beyond that faster. So I see... Um, that that transformation will also make us rethink the age-based grade level structure. The idea of you know one year at a time is is how long it takes you to pass through a grade level of study. That I think is an, an archaic notion. I think the idea of multi-age learning uh, we may be looking at the idea that you know my 11-year-old daughter is learning from my 16-year-old son. Of course they are, right? They live in the same house. Why yeah. is it then that we create this artificial grade or age-based structure at schools where they we put them in peer groups? Why can't we have others learn from others? I, like I mentioned at the beginning of the call, I, um, I did community theater and I was one of those young kids in the show who was looking up to the teenagers and the middle school kids and the adults and learning from them, learning the craft. You know, in that case, how to be on stage, how to sing out, how to not mm -hmm. turn your back on the audience, all the craft that you need to learn to, to do a, a good show. I was learning at multiple age levels. And then soon enough, I was the teenager and I had younger kids looking to me and I was still learning from the adults, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. the adults were learning from the kids. Um, I'm now in that role now. I'm in a show with my daughter and I learn every rehearsal. I learn from people of all ages, the people my age and older and people younger. These these 10 and 11 year olds are teaching me things. So, so don't mean to ramble on, but I think multi-age learning, the concept of personalized learning, you know, supported by technology, um, you know, the concept of co uh, uh, competency based learning as opposed to seat time. Right. We all sort mm -hmm. of struggle with that. Um, those, I think, are coalescing into something 
that will radically transform education. And I know it's just, you know, it's been transforming in the last 40 years, but it's, it's I think, pr primed for yet another transformation when those pieces all come together. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, our definition of diversity is really limited because yeah. uh, we don't talk about diversity of learning styles, of learning ages. Um, you know, we just think of diversity as far as CalPads is concerned. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I've been and really examine that word. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I thank you for just being a part of so many organizations that really do influence the influencers. And, um, you know, I don't know if you got to hear that. Thanks from a lot of people, but I appreciate it. And, um, if people want to follow you on Twitter, where, where can they find you at? Tech Maverick. I've uh, been on Twitter since 2007 at Tech Maverick. Ooh. I'm kind of kicking myself because I think Mike Lawrence was available then. Mike L may have been available then, but uh, yeah. I, I went with Tech Maverick because it was my handle. It still is. Um, but yeah, that's where they can find me. And uh, right. I'm at MikeLawrence.me and I'm at Maverick uh, Learning at MavLearn.com. That's the shingle I put out um, awesome. for my speaking work. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mike. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast at Clark's Room. I do appreciate you spending a few minutes of your day with me. If you like what you hear, don't forget to share, subscribe, and like through your favorite podcast provider. If you want to find more information about Clark's Room, you can go to clarksroom.com, find me on Twitter at Clark's Room, or visit the new Patreon site, patreon.com slash clarksroom.